What's in a name? Well, for most people, we don't think much about a person's name except the fact that it distinguishes them from another individual. Now, that's not true for young families. When a young family is getting ready to have a child, they will go through an excruciating process uh, to try and determine what they want their little boy or their little girl to be named. And in different periods of time and in different eras, various names have been very, very prominent. For example, in today's culture, in today's time, uh, the name Liam and the name Noah and the name William are the three most popular names for little boys. Well, no surprise about that third one. My name is William. My father's name was William. My grandfather's name was William. And my uh, grandson, my only grandson's name is, is William. And so parents take great care to name their, to name their children. Well, the same is true with, with little girls. In today's culture, the name Emma and Olivia and Ava are very popular names for little girls. But once you get past that age and that stage of naming your children, you don't think much about names. In fact, in our culture, names primarily, as I said, they distinguish one person from another. Uh, but in the Bible, names were very, very important. And often a person's name represented their character, who they were. Sometimes God even changed people's names because he was changing their character and, and changing their future. For example, uh, Abram became Abraham. Jacob had his name changed by God to Israel. And Jesus changed Cephas's name, Simon's name, uh, to Peter. Sometimes these names that we choose for our children are often tied to characters in the Bible. For example, Elizabeth. Uh, the name Elizabeth is a beautiful name. It means, my God is my oath, or some have suggested, my God is bountiful. And so what's in a name? Well, sometimes there's quite a bit tied up in a name. Our entryway into the Lord's Prayer, and, and we're studying the Lord's Prayer, we began last week by looking at the foundation of the Lord's Prayer, our Father in heaven. And we learned there that the believer is to address God as Father, Abba, Father. We might paraphrase it, my dearest Father. So when we get on our knees to pray, or maybe we're sitting in our easy chair getting ready to open up our prayer journal, we, we pause and take a deep breath, and we're reminded of the fact the one to whom we pray isn't a distant God who is, who is far from us, uh, but He's up close and He's personal. He wants us to think of Him as our dearest Father. And as we begin to work our way through the Lord's Prayer this morning, we'll notice that there are six requests. The first three requests begin with God, God's name, God's kingdom, and God's will. And then we turn to petitions that relate to us and, and those, that we, those that we love. This morning, I want us to consider the latter part of verse 9. Verse 9 begins, Our Father in heaven hallowed be your name. 
what a beautiful request, but it's a little bit odd-sounding to us in the 21st century. What I want us to do is to go to the end of that request and then work our way back to the beginning of the request. I want us to think first about the name, Hallowed Be Your Name. As I mentioned a moment ago, in our culture, names don't mean very much. Uh, I'm Bill, and Craig led us in worship just a few minutes ago, and, and uh, names distinguish us from one another. Uh, but in the Bible, names really do matter, particularly as it relates to God. Uh, there are many names associated with God in the Old Testament. And God takes His name very, very seriously because God's name reflects who He is. It's His character. It's how He wants us to understand Him. Uh, for example, jot down Exodus chapter 3, verses 13 through 15. Let me read to you Exodus 3, 13 through 15, and let me paint the scenario for you just, uh, for just a moment. In Exodus chapter 3, we have Moses at the burning bush. It's, it's one of the most dramatic encounters in the entire Bible. God encounters Moses, and He is going to send Moses back to Egypt to be the one that would lead His people out of Egyptian bondage. He was to represent God. He was to be God's spokesman. And so Moses in that Midianite desert encounters God. And so Moses says to God, If I come to the people of Israel and say to them, The God of our fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, Say this to the people of Israel. I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Notice God identifies himself as the great I am, and then he identifies himself in relationship to three names that they would have been very familiar with, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He goes on to say, has sent me to you. This is my name forever. And thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. It's not surprising then when we come to the Ten Commandments that one of the Ten Commandments has to do with God's name. In Exodus chapter 20 and verse 7, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. For the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. And then we, we turn to the book of Proverbs, Proverbs chapter 18 and verse 10. Uh, allow these words to sink in deeply. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous man runs into it and is safe. So we see there that God's name represents God Himself. God is like a, a, a protector. He is a fortress for His people. He wants us to run to Him. So when He says the name of the Lord is a strong tower, it means the Lord Himself is a strong tower. 
Uh, let me give you one, one final verse, and you're very familiar, I'm sure, with this from the book of Psalms. Psalm 20, verse 7. Some trust in chariots, some in horses, but we trust in the name. That is in the character, in the person of the Lord our God. And so particularly during this pandemic, it's easy for our hope to be put in the, into the ingenuity of men, as important as men's ingenuity is in trying to figure out all that's involved in this pandemic. But first and foremost, the people of God don't trust in medical science, as important as it is. Medical advancement or technology, as important as that is. In our governmental figures, as important as they are, some trust in chariots, some trust in horses, but we trust in the name and the character in the person of the Lord our God. I mentioned a moment ago, there are many names for God in the Old Testament because God wants Himself to be known in a multitude of ways because of the diversity of the ways that He manifests Himself to His people. Jehovah Shalom, the Lord is our peace. I think one of the names of God in the Old Testament that I, that I really cherish is the name Jehovah Jireh, the Lord will provide. In the story of Abraham, Abraham is the father of the Jewish people. And Abraham had a son, Isaac. And all of the promises of God to Abraham were to flow through his son, Isaac, and through their descendants. And Abraham, it appears in the Old Testament story, almost made Isaac like an idol. And sometimes parents do that. Maybe they've waited so long and yearn so deeply for a child like Abraham and Sarah did. And then when that child is born, they, they not only nurture and love that child, the child can become something of an idol. And a child can almost displace the role of God, the place of God in a parent's life. Well, it appears that Abraham was in a perilous situation. That, that Isaac was dangerously close to meaning more to Abraham than the Lord God. So the Lord God told Abraham that he was to sacrifice his son Isaac, his only son, his unique son, the, the child of promise, on an altar on Mount Moriah. That must have been an agonizing journey when Abraham and Isaac left their home and headed for Mount Moriah. One can only imagine the agony of soul, the heartache, the despair, the anguish, and the questions that overwhelmed Abraham. How could God ask him to sacrifice his son through whom all of the promises of God were to flow? And yet that's exactly what God asked him to do. And Abraham, in obedience, built an altar, and having placed his son Isaac on that altar in, in, the, in the last moment, God intervened. God allowed Abraham to see what was really important. God knew what Abraham would do, but God wanted to teach Abraham something about himself. So God puts us in situations where we learn God's character. 
when we learn who God really is, that God is Jehovah Jireh. And God provided a ram, and that ram was sacrificed in Isaac's place. The ram died for Isaac, which is something of a foreshadowing of the death of Jesus. But it was in that place, in that circumstance, in that situation that Abraham learned a name for God, Jehovah Jireh, the Lord will provide. You know, this, this whole pandemic might be wasted if we don't draw closer to God. God wants to use it in our lives for our good and His glory. He wants us to learn something about Himself. Maybe what He wants us to learn is that He is Jehovah Jireh, the God who will provide. Maybe He wants us to come to know Him as Jehovah Shalom, the God who is our peace in the midst of anguish and fear and overwhelming anxiety. Maybe that's what God wants us to learn through this. Don't leave this season without coming to know God better. And so he, he learned, Abraham learned, that God is Jehovah Jireh. And so circumstances are often thrust upon us by God so that we can learn something new about Him. So it makes it about God and not about me. This pandemic isn't about me. This pandemic is me coming into a greater understanding of who God is. In part, that's what it is. So the name is very, very important. Well, the first part of the, of the request is a little bit odd to us. It, it sounds odd to us in the 21st century. Hallowed be your name. What in the world does the word hallowed mean? The New Living Translation puts it like this. May your name be kept holy. That clarifies it for us. May your name be kept holy. In fact, the word hallowed has as its root the idea to treat something as holy, to consider something to be holy, uh, to set something apart or something aside as holy. For example, Sunday is a day like any other day in one sense, but it is different than every other day in this sense. It is a day set apart and set aside for the worship of God. It's a holy day because it is different than other days. In the ancient world, the temple, the temple in Jerusalem, it was a building, but it was a building different than every other building because it was a building that was set apart, set aside for the worship of God and sacrifices to be offered to God. So although there were buildings throughout the ancient world, magnificent buildings throughout the ancient world, beautiful fortresses, throughout the ancient world. There was one building in the ancient world that stood apart from every other building because it was the building that was set apart. It was a holy building set apart for the worship of God. So hallowed be your name. We see what it means. It means to consider God's name as holy. His name is his person. It's his character. It's who he is. So how do we do that? How do we treat God's name as holy? Well, let me briefly give you four ways that you might consider 
treating God's name as holy. First, we don't profane his name, like we read about just a moment ago in the Ten Commandments. It means more than we just don't use God's name in profanity, which, which is truly deplorable. But we don't make light of it. We speak of God with great reverence and awe and respect because of who he is. His name is who he is, his character, his person. His identity is tied up in his names. So we don't profane his name. We don't belittle his name. We don't make light of God's, of God's name. A second way that we do this is we, we treat God's name as holy in our public worship. Uh, I, I enjoyed what you couldn't enjoy this morning. You enjoyed by being able to hear it at home, and you enjoyed it by being able to sing out. I enjoyed it by being here in the room, uh, though I wasn't able to sing out. And if you're a member of our congregation, you know that although I am in my early 60s, I'm one of the more demonstrative people in our church when it comes to worship. I'm not really a very demonstrative person, though Jaylen would often say when she would hear me make that comment, you're very demonstrative when you see your children, your grandchildren. You're more demonstrative than you think, but in general, I'm a fairly reserved person. But here I was this morning, I was... I was sitting, listening to such beautiful, beautiful worship. Uh, I really wanted to get up and to sing and to, raise my, and to raise my arms toward heaven, to lift my hands to God. You see, public worship is an affirmation of my devotion to God. Public worship isn't about me, and it's not about my, primarily about the style of worship I prefer, the words are what make public worship demonstratively important. The truth that we sing, and, and we sing songs of substance, and they direct our attention to God who sits on heaven's throne, to our blessed Savior, and to the Holy Spirit. So when we sing, whether it's private worship or public worship, but there's something uniquely wonderful about worshiping the Son of God on his day, the seventh, on the first day of the week, and doing it corporately that exalts the name. It's treating God as holy. A third way that we do this is by living lives that display the fact that he is our father. And so we live with a sense of security because we serve Abba Father, our dearest Father. And because we serve our dearest Father, in those moments when it seems like fear is welling up within us, we cry out, Dearest Father, Abba Father, make yourself known to me. And so we live with a sense of security. We live with a sense where our self-worth isn't dependent upon our worldly success. So often, people in ministry like me measure our self-worth by worldly standards. The bigger your church, the more magnificent the budget, the better the ministry you are. No, we are children of the living God. And the Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And when you find us dejected ministers on Monday morning, they forget who they are, God's children 
because the numbers didn't measure up to what they would like the numbers to be. It doesn't mean we don't want to reach people. It doesn't mean we don't want to serve people. But it means that our self-worth isn't determined by earthly success. Our self-worth is determined by our Heavenly Father. Uh, the last thing that I would, I would say is that we hallow God's name. We treat it as holy when we pray. When we pray to God, we are saying to God, I recognize I'm helpless apart from you. You see, people who are very competent will often be people who don't find time to pray because their competency is enough to bring about the success they want. Type A people, driven people, take the bull by the horns people, are people who often find it difficult to find time to pray because they don't see the need to pray. But we hallow God's name, we, we treat it as holy when we pray, when we recognize we are helpless apart from Him, no matter how gifted we may be, no matter how insightful we may be, no matter how much we're able to accomplish, we can't accomplish anything in the way that brings glory and honor to God without saturating it in prayer. So we may be competent parents, but we better recognize we are helpless parents, that we cannot change the heart of our children, that we should instruct them and guide them and disciple them and, and minister to them, but then we better fall on our knees before God because we're helpless to change the heart of a child and turn that child's heart toward heaven. Uh, the fourth way I think we hallow God's name is when we... Is when we bow before him in prayer. But the last thing I want, I want to do very quickly this morning is, is for us to think about the name that's above all names. Now, I, I could track this theme all the way through the Bible, the, the name, the importance of the name. But I just want to highlight a few passages for you. And as I read these passages, I think you're going to see exactly what I mean by the name above all names. Isaiah chapter 7 and verse 14 reads, Therefore the Lord Himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call His name Emmanuel. Isaiah chapter 9 verse 6. For to us a child is born... To us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Matthew chapter, 21, or Matthew chapter 1 and verse 21. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. Acts chapter 4 verse 12 And there is salvation in no one else for there is no other name under heaven given among men 
by which we must be saved. And then finally, Philippians chapter 2. We sang this truth this morning. So that, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. You see, prayer is for helpless people. Prayer reminds us of our, of our helplessness. Listen to what Paul Miller wrote. Prayer is bringing your helplessness to Jesus. We forget that helplessness is how the Christian life works. The gospel, God's free gift of grace in Jesus, only works when we realize we don't have it all together. So you may be listening this morning and you would have resonating in your mind, I don't have it all together. I'm at my wit's end. I seem to be coming unglued. I, I find myself sinking into a sea of hopelessness. I realize there's something wrong with me, something deep inside. I'm not the person I want to be. Or maybe you would say, I'm not the person I should be. You may very well be at a place this morning where Jesus Christ is ready to be your Lord and Savior. You say, Pastor, don't I have to straighten up my life just a little bit? Absolutely not. You just need to be helpless, hopeless, and in need of a Savior. If you will put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, turn from living for yourself, take your career off the altar of your heart, take your family off the altar of your heart, take your despair off the altar of your heart and ask Jesus to reign there. That's repentance. And put your faith in the fact that he died for sinners and he was raised on the third day, you can be saved. If you do that, we'd love for you to contact our church. Go to our church website. Send us a message. Just message one of the pastors. We'd be glad to be able to, to talk with you. I'm going to lead us in a word of prayer. And then we're going to, to sing a final song together. So let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, we thank you that you have given us a guide by which we can learn how to pray. And Father, I pray that this week we would pray, and I pray that this week we would pray, hallowed be your name in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.